together. My name is John Ray. I'm one of the... Hey, good morning, Pete. I'm one of the elders here in charge of the teaching team, facilitating the teaching team. Um, I'd like to welcome everybody here this morning um, and also those that are listening on the podcast all over the place. Thank you all for the time to travel. I really missed you. I missed being here. I missed this body. I missed this place. Um, there isn't time this morning to go into all that we didn't accomplish. I, I listened on the podcast to the testimony service from the team that traveled down this summer and, and had trouble staying on the road. I was so emotionally overcome as we were driving. So you got a little bit of that uh, and as we continued to travel and explore and meet with people, uh, we ended up doing 7,750 miles in 40 days uh, as we traveled. Drove across the, the great American desert three different times on this trip. It was uh, pretty exceptional. And we can't do that without the incredible effort that the teaching team and the worship team puts in doing here. Uh, those of you that were here this summer and got to hear the, the rotation of the teachers, I'm sure were phenomenally blessed. Uh, I can only imagine as we listened to them, uh, we had great conversations in the car as we drove and listening and participating that way. And last week, Norma's sharing on the importance of an active gospel imagination uh, is an inspiring kickoff to our fall gatherings this year. I'm going to be a little bit I'm going to approach this morning a little bit differently. Uh, having coming back, having a lot of time to reflect, a lot of time to read, a lot of time to experience a variety of situations. Um, there are some things that I, I feel led to share this morning that I want, I want to make sure it's understood that, that this is very personal to me. This is something that has come about with a great deal of reflection and study. The mountains have always been a very special place to me. I've been going to the mountains since I was a kid, and the air is just different up there. There's something about it, the, the clear, crisp mountain air, the smell of it, the sensation of it. It changes the way you feel. And it changes the way you look at things. These are heavy days in our country and in our community. Uh, the air seems so heavy and toxic. How are we to respond as a church, as a people who give our greatest allegiance and affections to the kingdom of God and to King Jesus? That's a question we have to be asking right now. And while it might seem overwhelming or unsolvable, I believe we are given a solid, appropriate, and effective way to respond, not just to current circumstances, but to many circumstances like this. And honestly, I don't think it's a lack of knowing what is right that stops most of us. I think it's more the looming sense of what it might cost us to do what is right, and our own distrust of our abilities to do that. 
There is a way to address that as well, but like anything of value, it takes practice. As Norm introduced last week, these weeks that we go as we prepare into our fall study, we're looking at imagination, practice, what it means to unite, and the purpose that drives all that. These are words that I hope, words and ideas that I hope frame our efforts and activities all year. This week, we are going to look what it means to practice following Jesus, being his church, and living into his kingdom. So pray with me, as, if you would, as we begin. Jesus, you've gathered us here, Holy Spirit. You, you're the one that's called us. You're the one that, have, that has brought us. If there is anything valuable to say, if there's anything valuable to hear, it is going to be by your Spirit. Not by intellect or teaching, but by your Spirit. So right now, I ask that you would give us all, myself included, eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to love and respond. Jesus, this world desperately needs you, and it needs us, your church. We are broken. We're frustrated. We're scared. We're angry. We're hurt. We're divided. Your kingdom is the only thing that will ultimately unite. Your spirit, the only thing that will ultimately heal. Your presence, the only thing that will ultimately enlighten. So we ask for the measure of those things today. And in this week, as we continue through our study with our community groups, our grace groups, our one-on-one discipleship efforts, our individual studies, lead us Jesus. Otherwise, we have no hope. We pray this in Jesus' name. It's not enough to know what is right. We have to do what is right. Those two things are different. Knowing what is right and doing what is right, practicing what is right, are two different things. And in order to constantly do what is right, to learn to do what is right, we have to practice. It's not something that comes naturally. It's not something that just happens without effort, without intention. That practice, as Norma introduced last week, is starts and is sustained by an active gospel imagination. We have to be able to see it. We have to be able to comprehend it. We have to get a concept, a smell, a taste. We have to see the breadcrumbs left for us that we can follow them. But it is sustained by repentance, repetition, and resilience. It's not enough just to think about it. That practice is sustained by repentance, repetition, and resilience. And we cannot do it alone, y'all. This is not anything that is going to be accomplished by individual effort, no matter how Herculean, no matter how well-intended. Divided, we fall. We fail. Left to our own devices, by ourselves, we're lost. It will only happen as we are part of Christ's community, this community, the church. Now our text, our overriding text this week, has been from 2 Peter. 2 Peter 1, 
specifically verses 3 through 11, which I'm going to read. And I want you to listen to it. I want you to, I want you to let it capture you. I want you to let the images form in your mind as I read. Everything that goes into a life of pleasing God has been miraculously given to us by getting to know personally and intimately the one who invited us to God. The best invitation we ever received. We were also given absolutely terrific promises to pass on to you. Your tickets to participation in the life of God after you turned your back on a world corrupted by lust. So don't lose a minute in building on what you've been given. Complementing your basic faith with good character, spiritual understanding, alert discipline, passionate patience, reverent wonder, warm friendliness, and generous love. Each dimension fitting into and developing the others. With these qualities active and growing in your lives, no grass will grow under your feet. No day will pass without its reward as you mature in your experience of our Master Jesus. Without these qualities, you can't see what's right before you. Oblivious to your old sinful life, oblivious that your old sinful life has been wiped off the books. So, friends, confirm God's invitation to you, His choice of you. Don't put it off. Do it now. Do this, and you'll have your life on a firm footing. The streets paved and the way wide open into the eternal kingdom of our Master and Savior, Jesus Christ. I first remember encountering that verse years back when I was in a serious quandary. I didn't know the way to go. I didn't know how to get there. And I came across this, and as I memorized everything that has been given that is necessary for life and godliness has been given through the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lights went on. Ways were illuminated. It was a promise that I could hold on to. Something that would walk me through. You see, I grew up a good confederate. Now, Austin, Texas is not technically the south. It's southwest. It's a pretty, pretty liberal city. Um... But displays of the Confederacy, Confederate flag, were there along with the secessionist tendencies, as all Texans have. And I just accepted it as the norm. I never thought of myself as racist. I had plenty of friends of Latino heritage where I grew up in Austin. There weren't a lot of African Americans in my school. But boy, there was one. Her name was Monique. She was something. I had a crush on her like only a 13-year-old can have a crush on a person. We were talking one time in art class, and she reached over and kissed me. And, God, Jane, I know you're here, so I'm confessing it, but, man, (laughs) that was a kiss that stopped the world. She didn't think so, but I did. And because I had these individual relationships and because I felt no personal animosity towards anybody of other race, I just didn't think that that mattered. But I also never made a single attempt to question the presumptions I had about race or class or the world or the way things were. I was brought up in and fully bought into the way things were. 
And I accepted those things as the best, most reasonable, and divinely ordained way things should be. Because I didn't encounter it personally, I didn't think that it was happening universally. As I grew older, I found abundant reinforcement of these assumptions in the fundamentalist evangelical circles that formed my little bubble. Of course, I didn't experience it as a, bu- as a bubble then. I didn't know that I was in a bubble of class and race and geography, religion and politics. I didn't, I didn't realize that. To me, that was the whole world. To me, that's the way things were. To me, that, was, that experience had to be universal. And anything that didn't fit within my assumption, well, that was those people's problem. It wasn't mine. I unquestionably assumed it was the real world. I see the world very differently now. I see the things happening in the world and in our country and here in our local community from a very different perspective. But I am not here to use this sacred space to give you my opinion on things, to incite you to specific activities or actions. Instead, I want to bear witness to something deeper than my transient opinions or subjective observations. I want instead to challenge all of us here to a deeper practice of imagination, mindset, disciplines, and practices that give each of us and all of us the tools to give ever-increasing room to the Holy Spirit to convict us, lead us to repentance, and motivate us to individual and corporate action so that we might really become who Christ calls us to be. The reflection of the light of the world. A city set on a hill, people reflecting the image and character of Christ. People who, in the words of the prophet Micah, which he says in Chapter 6, verse 8, know what is good. People who know what is good and what the Lord really wants from us. People who promote justice. People who are faithful and live obediently before God. Grace Church, we have to go deeper. This is an awesome church. You are an awesome church. You are an incredible assembly of the Holy Spirit, a place where that Spirit resides and is worshipped, instructs, and leads. There is no single greater calling that any one of us or that we as a church have than that to be God's people, His witness, God's witness to this world. But that takes practice. And we have to go deeper. We have to go deeper ourselves, each individually. We have to go deeper in our grace groups. We have to go deeper with our kids. 
We have to go deeper in all of our priorities to know this, to be transformed by it. We need to build our lives around this calling. That's not easy to do in our world. We are assailed and tugged and sold so many different ways of being, so many different priorities, so many different things. But we have to go deeper. My own transformation from that clueless kid in a bubble to who I am becoming, I haven't arrived, I haven't figured it out. I haven't got it done by any means. I have far to go. Started, as Norma said, with a change in my imagination. Primarily through Scripture. Philippians 4 says, Paul's instruction, he says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is worthy of respect, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is, rec- whatever is commendable, if something is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. And what you learned and received and heard and saw in me, do these things. And the God of all peace will be with you. There's a lot that parades as pure. There's a lot that poses as lovely and commendable out there. And it's not. But that is not to deny that there is true beauty. The gospel is a beautiful thing. Knowing Jesus is a beautiful thing. It is pure. It is lovely. It is commendable. It is peaceable. But in concentrating on those things that are good, we have to say no to a lot of things that distract. We have to discipline ourselves not to look at other things, not just because they're bad, I get it, but it's because they're just not this other thing. It's because they're not the things of Jesus. And as I did that, that led me out of the bubble. That led me, I had the opportunity, I had the the resources to get out of the bubble. I started spending time with people who didn't look like me, smell like me, eat the same food as I did, weren't raised the same way. And as I did that, as I got out of the bubble and as I started to read the Bible, read the same Bible that I'd grown up reading in the conservative Baptist church in Austin, Texas, where everybody looked like me, smelled like me, ate the same food, spoke the same language. As I read those very same words in a different context, their meaning changed. It was illuminated, it grew. And then as I encountered examples of people who loved this same Jesus, followed this same God, read this same book, but, but were from very different contexts and looked different, smelled different, acted different, liked different things, things that were strange, were foreign, some of them honestly offensive. That imagination changed. Now I want to be quick to say here, you don't have to become a missionary for this to happen. You don't have to load your family in a car and set off on a giant road trip. Those help. If you have the opportunity to do it, do it. But you don't have to. Just within a few miles of this, we can find plenty of opportunities 
for that. Get outside your bubble. Get outside your routines. Get outside your own small circles. Find those people that act different, look different, smell different, believe different. Spend time. Then go back to the scripture in those contexts. See what happens to your imagination. The other thing that happened is my practice changed. What we're talking about here, my practice changed. And it starts, I said, with repentance. Now here's the thing with repentance. Repentance is scary. Repentance is costly. But I was able to find places where it was safe to be wrong. See, in our society, there is very little forgiveness for being wrong. There's very little encouragement to fail. There's very little admonition around admitting you made a mistake. By God's grace, I found people, I found community, I found context where it was okay to be wrong. It was okay to make a mistake. It was okay to question I hope that's what this place is. I hope that Grace Church is a very safe place to ask very dangerous questions. I hope it's a safe place to question things, to fail, to consider, to reconsider within this place. Because I think repentance feeds on that. It needs it. But it starts there, and it is not going to happen without it. We have to learn to repent, not just once, but as a practice. A practice of continually repenting, continually put ourselves before Jesus, continually measuring our life by the Word, not trying to make the Word justify our life, our preferences. And that practice involves repetition. We don't like that. Man, I don't like it. I can't tell you how many things that I cannot do today because I didn't want to practice. How many of you were like me, took piano lessons when you were a kid, right? And you got super frustrated because you couldn't play the songs that you wanted to play right away. And you didn't want to practice, so you didn't practice. And now I cannot so much as play chopsticks on the piano. Is that because I'm genetically unable to play the piano? Is it because I don't have an ear for music? No, it's none of those things. It's just because I didn't practice. Alex thinks I may not have the musical ability, but... <laughs> but in this, what we're talking about this morning, I was able to find rhythms. I'm still finding them. Finding them throughout the, the liturgical calendar. Finding ways of... Sp- Spacing my life around this weekly gathering on Sundays. Showing up, being part. Even when it doesn't feel like it, even when I don't want to go, even when it's drudgery. Show up, pay attention. Rhythms of being with people. Of pouring into others and being poured into by others as well. Practices, rhythms that helps sustain through the long haul. And then resilience. 
I don't, I don't know what it is about getting old, but one of the gifts, I, I told someone the other day, getting old is kind of like having magic powers. Because you get to understand, you finally get to see stuff that old people told you when you were young and you just thought was stupid or for them or that they were wrong. And then you get old and you're like, whoa, they were right. <laughs> it's like this magic power. You can look at people and you can look at things and you go, I know what's going to happen. <laughs> I know where that's going to end. You need to either stop that <laughs> or you need to do this, start this, because where you're going is not going to end well. Which, of course, is still, even at, when you're older, is easier to see for other people than it is for yourself. But this resilience is, I found out what I thought would kill me didn't kill me. There are things right now that you look at that you think are going to kill you. You think it's going to be the end of your life. You think if you do these things, it's just going to kill you. It's not. It's not going to kill you. You're going to make it. You're going to find your way through, and you're going to be stronger because of it. So my imagination changed, my practices changed, and then finally my community changed. I have been blessed throughout my life with tremendous, deep, and rich friendships. But I've also been in a lot of different communities. I've been in a lot of different contexts. Growing up in the restaurant business and bartending and things like that don't always put you with the most healthy communities. Different communities that I had during college, during my young adult ages, I look back on and I realize those were not safe places. They may have been fun, they may have been temporarily satisfying, but ultimately they were toxic. And so I wish I could say it was more an intentional effort on my, on my behalf to leave these toxic relationships. But really it was more those healthy relationships seeking out and finding me. This church is one of the primary ones that I can point to. Listen, I didn't find Grace Church. Grace Church found me. The church found me. And as I have grown... I look to try to invest likewise and find others to bring here, to invite here, not to force, not to cajole, not to threaten, not to bribe, and not to promise things that we can't deliver, but to invite people to experience that here at Grace. And I choose more and more to invest in those life-giving relationships, and especially in those, again, who don't necessarily think like me, or look like me. I don't want to recreate some kind of bubble here. It's not our goal. We're not trying to just replace one bubble with another. So those three things, those three tools of having a changed imagination, a changed practice, and a changed community have led me to be a very different person than I was when I was growing up to believe differently, to act differently, to love differently, to value differently with that. I hope that what those changes are are obvious in my actions. I hope they're obvious by who I associate with, by who I give my money to, by who I, where I choose to live. That's my hope, because if it's not, it doesn't matter what I say. It doesn't matter what I proclaim with my mouth. It doesn't matter what I post on Facebook. 
or the bumper sticker I put on the back of my car, if my life doesn't reflect it, it is meaningless. So if you want to know where I stand on things, if you want to know what I believe about certain hot-button issues and things like that, watch my life. I hope that that will tell you everything that you need to know. And if it doesn't, then like I said, my words are meaningless. As I said in the beginning, knowing what is right and doing what is right, doing what is right are two very different things. And in order to consistently do what is right, we must practice. One final thing as we conclude. I believe we are constantly hindered by the demonic assumption that if it is right, it will be easy. That if we are called to it by God, we won't have to work at it. Or that if God is for us, everyone will love us. Those are demonic assumptions. If it is right, it probably won't be easy at all. It will probably be the most difficult path. That's not to say it's all drudgery. But we live in a fallen world. We live in a broken place. And we are all broken people. It is almost universally easier to do just whatever feels good at the moment. Whatever cost us the least. And whatever gives us the most immediate gratification. And if we are called to it by God, oftentimes, and again, almost universally, we are called to things that we cannot accomplish by ourselves in our own strength and in the immediate. It is going to be something that takes repetition, practice, rhythm, repentance, and can only be done in the context of community. All things that I would rather do without. <laughs> Honestly, just being very honest, I would rather just do it on my own time, in my own way, by myself. Anybody else with me? Or am I the only one? Yeah. <laughs> if I had my druthers, I'd just rather do it my way, in my time, by myself. Leave me alone. It's not going to happen that way, y'all. It's not going to get done. And then the last thing is that, hey, if, it's God, if God is for us, then everybody's going to love us, or at least like us. Well, increasingly. I find that not to be true. We breathe the air on the mountaintops so that we can be sustained in these valleys. We only get glimpses, but those glimpses, those rare and beautiful lungs full of cool, clean mountain air must be cherished and nurtured through the oppressive heat and pollution as we oppose all forms of injustice, systemic oppression, and perverse ideologies. This is a long game we are playing and it takes practice. If we're going to find any hope 
if we're going to have any hope, it is going to be found in developing those practices that allow us to be transformed, encouraged, and sent out by God's sustaining grace. Thank you for being here. I'm going to invite the worship team, Lucian, and the team to come up this morning. As you know, it is our practice, and we talk about this a lot. This is what we do as a church. We practice. We come to the table. Whether we feel like we're worthy or not, whether we feel like we want it or not, we come to the table. We receive from God because God is here offering. It's not because we're worthy. It's not even really because we need it. It's because God offers. He initiates. God initiates and offers and sustains us through that. He didn't give us Jesus, in those last night, those last days with his disciples, he didn't give them more doctrine. He gave them a practice, a practice of coming together and breaking bread and understanding that that represented and, and in a very real way was his broken body offered to us. He gave us a practice of taking the cup together and understanding. It was symbolic of and in a way very real, it was. His blood poured out as the sign of a new covenant, eternal covenant, the final covenant, the covenant that supersedes all other covenants and is eternal, that new covenant for us. And so we walk up and we take it. We have to, we have to receive it. We have to walk up. We have to take it. And here at Grace, we just, as you feel led, come up. Our table's open to everyone who's seeking Jesus to receive from Jesus. We do that as a practice. We also practice by giving. We practice by giving our money. We practice giving by giving our time. Listen, you want to go deeper, practice giving more. Serve more. Give more. Not because we need it, which we do, but not because of that. But because of what that practice does for us. And we also practice at the end by responding in worship and reflection. Because we're not just downloading information to you. You're not checking something off a list. You're here to hear the Holy Spirit. You're here to know God. You're here to encourage other people. So we reflect and we pray and we worship at the end. Listen, I... There's not a one of you in here that I don't think knows what's right. But every single one of us needs help in doing what is right. That's what these practices are for. That's what this time is for. That's what we need each other for. Thank you for being here this morning.